0: For me, it was the right fit against the New York Giants. Like, this is this is the New York Giants. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. Oh man, I'm so blessed. It's crazy. I've been manifesting New York. I kind of had a feeling it was going to be New York, but now that we're here, man, God is good. Once a Giant,
1: always a Giant.
0: For me, it's only a Giant.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I am your host, Art Stapleton, and we are getting ready for week three of the NFL season. Raise your hand if you had the Giants at 2-0, one of six undefeated teams in the NFL. Well, I think other than license plate guy, put your hands down. The Giants, two wins back-to-back against not the best teams in the league, But certainly winning at Tennessee, a team that finished as the number one overall seed in the AFC last year, and then winning at home against a scrappy Panthers team, a lot better on defense than I think people are giving them credit for, at least a lot more talent on defense. And lo and behold, Brian Dable has his team sitting at 2-0, contributions from a lot of different unsung heroes. Jahad Ward on defense, O'Shane Zimenez on defense, Julian Love has stepped up, his sack of Baker Mayfield really put the Giants in position to close that game out. Daniel Jones' legs yet again on a scramble for 11 yards puts that game away, and the Giants now preparing for a Monday night football showdown with the Dallas Cowboys, the Dak prescott lists. Dallas Cowboys, Cooper Rush, who had a cup of coffee with the Jason Garrett offense here with the Giants a couple seasons ago. Now the Giants sit here going into really a, an unexpected pivotal showdown early in the season. Eagles out of the great out of the gates very well, undefeated, and looked very very good. On Monday night, the Vikings, I mean, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, when's the next time they're going to actually have a good performance in prime time? The next time will be the first time. So the Eagles win that game. The Titans, after week one, losing to the Giants, went up to Buffalo and got embarrassed by the best team in the NFL. So here we're at. On today's show, another one of those unsung Giants Wide receiver David Sills. We'll get into his journey, and it's an interesting one. Sills Army, stand up. We'll have your your guy with a good interview today to kind of shed some light on how the, this offense is being put together. His time in Buffalo as an undrafted rookie with Brian Dable and Joe Shane and just how he ended up getting waived came to the Giants, and has really been fighting for a spot ever since. He played the most snaps of anybody at wide receiver last week. And given, not not earned, or earned, not given. Well, in the case of David Sills, it's earned, not given, and he's made the most of it. So I think you guys will enjoy that interview. Without any further ado, let's jump right in. And, of course, we'll close the show with the final drive questions from you the fans but for right now here's my interview with David Sills the fifth alright joining me now the only man with the number five on his nameplate you know you should have tried to sell the V to Kayvon earlier this season you and Gano could have teamed up and yeah. you know who knows maybe we got got David Sills the fifth appreciate you joining me um, and first off congrats on two wins big rolls both weeks how are you feeling uh i mean i feel good uh
0: obviously it's always great to start the season with two wins um especially you know how we did them obviously we we're not where we want to be yet um as an offense uh defense has been playing great but uh we got a we got a group of fighters um on offense and um you know figured out how to get points when we needed it and um you know like i said we got a we got to tighten things up a little bit on offense, but
1: uh, nonetheless, it's good to start two zero. Big night in MetLife Stadium, the the whiteout that everybody's talking about. With you got you know Giants, Cowboys. It doesn't get any better than that. But I wanted to take you back a little bit. Um, and we'll we'll go way back in a little while, but I watched the video on the Bills website from when you your draft year when you were being recruited as an undrafted rookie. And I just, it struck me watching Joe Shane basically walk the halls with a cell phone, trying to track you down, get get whatever scouts were involved, talk to your agent, uh, and then finally, the bills land you as an undrafted free agent. What do you remember about that time period? I know there had to be some emotions not oh, okay. getting drafted, but- I mean, do you remember Joe being a pivotal part of that whole thing?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, I, I, there was more communication uh, with Joe and my agent uh, than there was with me, but they put a lot of people, um, you know, in contact with me during that process. But I remember it was like a very, it was it was a roller coaster of emotions because. Uh, you know, one, you think you're going to get drafted, um, you know, and and really while the seventh round is still going on, you're getting calls and you're like, okay, what is going on? And you got to make a decision in the next, you know, 10, 15 minutes because they got to like fill their deal and the whole thing. So it kind of hits you like you really don't have any time uh, to think about it, which is, you know, it's different than getting drafted because you can kind of pick where you want to go, but you've got 10, 15 teams calling you. To like figure, and you have to figure out within a five, 10 minute window of like, okay, right, what's the best situation for me? Um, you know, but they, they did a great job. Um, you know, I was really happy with my decision to go to Buffalo. Obviously, it didn't work out. Um, you know, injuries kind of happened in minicamp. Um, you know, it, it just, but you
1: didn't have not to interrupt you, but but that preseason, you had an impact that preseason. I mean, it wasn't a, a it wasn't a slam dunk that they weren't going to keep you, right? Yeah. I mean, it, w- was that an opportunity to stay there at, on the practice squad in Buffalo um, the way things played out?
0: And no, I don't, I don't think at that time it really was. Um, you know, they had a they had a really good receiving core, a deep receiving core, um, you know, at the time. And uh, I think I, you know I needed to develop more, and, and there was areas I can improve on. Um, you know, and the Giants reached out to me about coming here, so I got in the car, drove here. Uh, the early the next morning practice here the next day so it was kind of it, it's it's really crazy how things kind of work in the nfl but um you know i been able to uh stay here for a little while and um you know is finally starting to pay its dividends
1: you know it's crazy because you, this is now your third regime here in in four years yeah. i mean you caught the tail end of one you were with the the judge gettelman regime last year and now you're here with the guys that essentially were fighting for you to be in this league, right from the very beginning, and you come here, um, how much, I'm sure it's somewhat different, but the Dable Kafka system, how similar is it to what you did for that short period of time in Buffalo? And has that helped you when you guys were hitting the books, you know, this off season to try Um, to give yourself- Yeah, I mean, that's a a
0: good question. you know, you you would think it would it would kind of, uh you know, have a little bit of a carryover. And it, and, and it did. But, you know, it being so long ago and really me only being there for a short period of time, especially, you know, being an undrafted rookie, having it all go in, you know, learning the whole system in that short of a time and not being there that long, it, I feel like it didn't really like, you know, stick because gotcha. it's the first system you're learning and then you get here and it's like all right, flush everything I just learned um, I gotcha. and then it's four leaves later but obviously they're they um, their the offense has developed a lot I mean obviously there's a couple of things that are similar but a lot of it was really just having to relearn the whole deal um, you know and, and and taking the time so it, it there was a couple of things that I was like oh yeah I remember that I don't really remember what it was but I remember hearing those words and gotcha. stuff like that um, you know, so I don't. I don't really think it, it, it played too much as an advantage, um, you know. But it, it was definitely something uh, that I was like, "Oh, that sounds familiar. That sounds familiar." Um, but it. But it's. I feel like it's. It's changed a lot also since I was there four gotcha. years ago.
1: What about your rapport with Daves? Uh, you know, Brian Dable was obviously there mm-hmm. as the offensive coordinator. You know, I know he makes an effort, especially now as a head coach to put in time to create relationships with yeah. everyone did did you have much of a relationship in a couple months that you were there um
0: you know i we we uh we definitely you know had a relationship uh it, it was tough because um you know i pulled my hamstring in uh rookie mini camp so i was out for most of uh otas and um you know mandatory mini camp so like really training camp um, you know was the first time I was able to kind of show what I can do gotcha. um, you know so being out obviously there's like there's there's when you're injured and you're not on the field there's obviously not that like you know feel of connection of coach between player which like he's kind of feeling out what kind of player I am I'm kind of understanding like what his coaching style is gotcha. all that so you, we kind of missed that pivotal part and you kind of like you could see when we were in OTAs um, this year that that that's where a lot of growth happens i mean we're i feel like we're we made a lot of strides as an offense in in otas um you know learning the offense so you know kind of when training camp happened and we were a deep room so the 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 and they they were a veteran team so the numbers the amount of reps were lighter the plays for me were light so um you know i think uh I feel like when he got here, I was a completely different player than when I was in Buffalo. I feel like Interesting. I feel like I was able to develop more, um, you know, and and uh, I think um, you know th- that we built a, a even better relationship since he's been here.
1: Now it's pretty crazy. I was just looking at the numbers, and I know it's just it's just two games, but you played 98 snaps in your entire career prior to this season. And through two games, you have 94 snaps played on offense. So basically a difference of four. So you've watched essentially in two games with all the ups and downs that you've had here trying to make the team and pressing in, you know, in the preseason, having the broken foot a couple years ago. I mean, we've been through all the, you know, your story. Is there any part of you that is even still surprised that you've gotten the opportunity that you've gotten even though you've earned it you have gotten an opportunity here now that you've taken advantage of in the first two weeks of the season
0: yeah I mean I've, I've always been uh very confident in myself um you know I've always thought that at some point it's 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 gonna happen at some point um you know I'm, I'm gonna be able to go out there on the field and make an impact um you know with this offense and um, you know, I've 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 i felt like that since since I've been playing, you know, the position in college and, um, you know, felt like that um, when I first got to the NFL. And, um, you know, obviously the injuries and everything, it's part of the game. It happens, um, you know, but I felt like this year um, I was able to um, play during OTAs uh, and, and training camp with a confidence. Um, you know, I think a lot of the guys around me had a, a confidence in me. Um, you know, and that, that's uh, a good feeling when you have that, especially as a receiver. And I, I feel like the, you know, the quarterback can, can sense when you have that, um, you know, and it's comforting for him. And and I think that's when you, um, you know, really start to make plays is when you're out there like playing confident and doing stuff like that. So um, I think this year that's really the biggest thing that's like changed is being able to uh, go out there and play confident. Um, you know, I think that's kind of what has gotten me to. Uh, be in the position that I'm in now.
1: You know, it's been, your story has been a great one that that I've told several times. It seems like I wrote a David Sills feature, you know, every summer the last couple of years because of how well you performed and and how you were really on the verge of seizing moments. Uh, But also, you know, you go back, it's now, you're now 26. You go back 13 years and you were thrust into a spotlight that you probably would have never imagined at the time. And I remember you telling me last summer, and that's obviously when you were the 13-year-old quarterback who Lane Kiffin offered the scholarship, right, at USC. You told a funny story last year about Adoree Jackson and how you didn't think anyone in the locker room would even know that story. Do you remember telling us? And if you could retell it, because I thought that was hilarious. Yeah,
0: so Adoree didn't really really know. We actually were just talking about it a couple weeks ago that – he graduated high school in 2014, but he didn't end up like hearing about, and I graduated high school in 2015. So when he heard about it, he, he said he was like already a junior in high school. So he thought I was still like 13 years old. <laughs> and then when he found out that I like I was who I was, he thought I was like, would still be in college now because he thought I was so young, but really he just found out like way later that I was right. um, that guy. So it was, uh, it was a funny interaction and um, you know, he, he knows some of my teammates from high school that played at USC. So, um, you know, he, he always asked me if he thinks I could still do it. And I'd say, no, I said, no, I mean, I could <laughs> I could play it at this level. But, um, you know, luckily, um, you know, God gave me the ability to be able to play another position, so.
1: You had that line this summer and that was one of the best things. And I thought it was funny, when you came in to do the press conference, Uh, and even wrote about it. They had the lights up and it was kind of really bright at the podium and you were like, man, what's all with these lights, a spotlight? But you had the line that someone asked you if you missed playing quarterback and you said, not if I'm the way I'm playing receiver right now. Um, But, was there ever a time where you thought to yourself, man, you know, almost a sliding doors concept of if, if Kiffin doesn't get fired, if you go to USC and you were the quarterback, or was that really? Yeah. In the I past? mean, it was kind
0: of in the past. Um, you know, I don't really think it was, um, you know, it, it's kind of just something that like it, it happened. It, you know, he got fired, ended up going to West Virginia, um, you know, got switched to receiver there, um, you know, and kind of, at first still was kind of back and forth between wanting to play quarterback and receiver and um, you know finally was all in on receiver and um, you know ended up playing pretty well my junior and senior year and uh, you know at that point once I started playing well my junior year I was like man I think I you know can be able to um, you know make a career out of this Um, you know so that's when I kind of really started to be fully invested. Forget in. like, about that yeah, quarterback like, all right, stuff. it's like, all right, you know, I'm having fun playing receiver. Um, you know, we we're, 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 were playing at a high level in college. So, um, you know, and it's 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 fun to play in front of, like, you know, a big crowd like that and everything. So uh, kind of just haven't really thought about the quarterback much.
1: Now, your transition to receiver when you were at West Virginia, is that true that it started when one of the coaches went saw you playing – receiver on scout team yeah
0: so um so coach Hovers. so i remember we had we had uh we were light on numbers on the scout team we had two quarterbacks i was on the scout team then we had a walk on on the scout team and the first week we played uh georgia southern and i was they run like triple options so i was the quarterback doing all like this triple option stuff so then the next week we were thin and they were like hey like go to receiver we got another quarterback like we need you to play receiver, so I go out there and playing receiver, and um, you know things are things are going pretty well. Like I'm out there catching balls, right? The, you know, I'm asking the equipment guys like, "Hey, can I get a pair of gloves?" Like, you know, all that. And um, you know, a couple weeks go by me doing that, and Coach Overson comes to me uh, like the day before one of our one of our games, and he's like, "Hey, you want to play receiver tomorrow?" Right. And this was back when you played one snap, you burn your red shirt. I was like, Coach, like, I don't really want to like burn my red shirt for this. Like, I don't really. You know, I'm raw. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't want to do that. And he was like, all right. So we go – we play that game. And then the next Monday he brings me in his office. He's like, hey, you know, we're thin on numbers at receiver. Like, we really need you to play receiver. So I was like, all right. So I played played receiver um, the rest of that year. Um, You know, I had a couple catches, nothing really crazy. And then uh, after the season I actually went – I told Coach Overson, I said, I want to go back to quarterback. I'm not fully invested in receiver. Right. So I actually went to junior college and played quarterback and then, um, didn't get, didn't get any, uh, offers out of junior college. So I was like, all right, well this isn't going to work. So I'm going to walk on somewhere and play receiver and coach Hogerson got wind of it and called me back and was like, Hey, come back and play receiver. So that was when i went back and played my junior and senior year at west
1: virginia 132 catches 2097 yards and 35 touchdowns in 33 games at yeah, wide like, receiver <laughs> i guess it, making Man, the decision well, to go back to receiver yeah. and now you're starting for the new york giants yeah. potentially on monday night football this yeah, week absolutely david sills appreciate your time and uh sills the fifth the i fifth. know there's a legacy for you there so i know that's important yeah but I do appreciate you being on all In, and best of luck this week and stay healthy. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks to David Sills, the fifth. I appreciate his time for this week's show. And I got to tell you, I I hope you guys truly appreciate the guest list so far this year on season two of all in between Xavier McKinney and Julian love and the exclusive with Joe Shane last week with Saquon Barkley and sterling shepherd and now david sills will be taking a show on the road to london in two weeks so that'll be interesting so again hope you enjoyed the insight from sills and his story i know there are a lot of people as i joked the sills army on social media there are a lot of fans rooting for david sills and uh, so far he has made the most of his opportunities here uh, this season so that'll bring us to the final drive. Your questions, I've enjoyed this segment every week. Kind of gives me a feel for where you guys, what you guys are thinking in terms of the Giants and the direction of this team. Let's go right off the bat. Tony Maff, do you think the Giants will be all in on Lamar Jackson this next off season? Well, that's an interesting question, Tony, and the, the quarterback situation are go, is going to be one that will be a continual process. Daniel Jones is the quarterback. If Lamar Jackson is on the market and the Giants don't draft a quarterback or don't have a quarterback that they love in the draft, I'm sure they'll explore the opportunity. Joe Shane has already shown that he'll explore all opportunities, And I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Lamar Jackson would be a fit in this Brian Dable, Mike Kafka offense. Um, You know, Jackson is is an explosive talent. Um, It'll be like I said, his his recruitment, if he hits the market, would be fascinating because you'd find out a lot about teams and the way they view quarterbacks and whether they're willing to to adapt to the quarterback rather than have the quarterback adapt to their system. So kind of a half yes, half no. But when you're talking just strictly talent, you can't ignore Lamar Jackson if he is on the market. You have to explore that opportunity. So good question, Tony. All right. From King Hypocrite, which is um, a loaded name to begin with. Why did the Giants not take their bye week after the London trip? This is a, a very interesting part that, that the NFL didn't use to give teams the option. And this year, the Giants and the Packers have both decided to take their bye week later in the year. And I think it's in part because they've gotten the trip, the travel to London down so smoothly that they feel as though it's just a little bit of an extra west coast trip. You know, they'll be flying to Seattle and it's a 6 plus hour flight, commercial. Giants aren't flying commercial. So however long their their flight is to Seattle, their flight, they're flying in convenience to to London, So it's not like you or I will be hopping on a plane commercially and going through customs and the way everything is. They have it all set up and checked out with their security. So that part of the trip, they're going to try to keep as regular as possible. They'll try to get two practices here. They'll only have one practice and a walkthrough in London. Uh, and the time difference is They'll make up for it because they'll leave immediately on Sunday after their game. It'll be Sunday night, but they get that five hours back. Uh, Maybe they start that following week home game against the Baltimore Ravens on Wednesday. Maybe they'll come back a little bit later in the day and have a later practice to give the players a little bit more time to kind of adjust. But it's really the adjustment to London time than it is coming back to New Jersey and adjusting the five-hour difference that you really gain back uh, as far as the time goes. So uh, that's why they do it. It's a team option. If it were later in the year, if it were late October, early November, maybe you feel as though you can take that bye week there. It's closer to the middle of the season. This is now week five that they're going to London. So to get your bye week in week six, do the math. It's 12 more weeks the rest of the season. Now that you've got that 18-week schedule with 17 games, uh, I think they would like the idea to have another break down the stretch of the season, especially if they're in contention for anything. So good question, but the Packers and the Giants both opted to move on from their buy Packers actually come home and play the Jets after the London trip to face the Giants. So we'll move on to the next question that is from Trevor. Do you really think the Giants will bring back OBJ? And my answer, I know the rumors has been floated out there. I have been in contact with Odell that this FaceTiming with Brian Dable did not happen. It is a rumor. It is something that started up that people are talking about. Uh, I do think there's mutual respect between Odell and the Giants. I think he's rooting for the Giants. I think he absolutely loves the fact that Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard have gotten off to a good, good start. I think there are people in the building who still root for OBJ. I think they were rooting for them for him in the Super Bowl, uh, and I think they'll continue to root for him. As far as him coming back here, I don't believe the timing is right. I think Odell will weigh his options, and then come November, uh, he'll see what teams are interested. You know, he tore his ACL for the second time in the Super Bowl. That was early February. It's still early in his recovery. He's not there yet. So the idea that Odell is going to sign with a team, for what? To sit on the sideline? It doesn't make any sense. So, no, I, I don't think Odell will reunite with the Giants. I don't think that's going to happen. In the future, could I see Odell, when his playing days are over, come back within the Giants and do assigning or be a part of Giants Legends, I, I can't say it will never happen, but as far as him playing for the Giants, I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I, I don't think it's right for the player, and I don't think it's right for the team right now uh, where they are. I think the Giants would love to get some help at wide receiver, but signing Odell, who is not ready to play until at least November, that does nothing for you. Uh, and can given the Amount of money that you've already spent at the position—it uh, just—it's a—it's fl- a flawed way to try to find success at that spot. So, I'm really him. What do the Giants need to do to win this game? Well, I think they need to get rid of, uh, get off, and get rid of the idea that because Dak Prescott isn't on the field, that Cooper Rush can't beat them. Uh, I think he can. I think he's serviceable. I think the Giants, uh, the Giants will have to be wary of Michael Gallup coming back in to the fold. I don't think the Dallas offensive line is as vaunted as it's been. So I think Wink Martindale's defense can get after it a little bit. Stop the run. Ezekiel Elliott, but what who scares me, is Tony Pollard more. Uh, but... The Cowboys' defense is what you have to be concerned with. You have to be concerned with Micah Parsons. You have to be concerned with Trayvon Diggs. Guys who hunt the football. And the Giants have done a pretty good job of protecting the football. Daniel Jones made the mistake in the end zone, thinking he can get it to Saquon Barkley on a back shoulder in the end zone through that interception. Uh, It's not that I give Jones a pass on the sack fumble, but... That was really on Joshua Azudu. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons just beat him clean, was there under three seconds uh, to get Jones. So I'm not putting that on the quarterback as much as I am on the rookie left guard. Uh, But look, you need to prevent this Dallas defense from pinning its ears back and coming after Daniel Jones in in this offensive line. And if you can neutralize Micah Parsons and you can neutralize Trayvon Diggs and not throw the ball in his direction in non-optimal down and distance, I think you'll have a shot. And I think you'll have the crowd on your side. They want to have the whiteout this week. Um, I think that has the potential of being pretty cool. Uh, And we'll just have to wait and see. But... Clearly, if you allow Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs to wreck this game, they can wreck the game. And I'm more fearful of Parsons than I am of Diggs because you can try to neutralize Diggs. I don't think Diggs is that pure corner, cover corner that you have to stay away from. He's a playmaker that you need to watch out for on the back end of the secondary. Because if you put a ball up, he's going to get it. Uh, But I don't think that it's impossible to out-scheme Diggs on the back end. I think the Giants can do that, and I think that's what they'll try to do uh, at times if they put the ball up in the air. Julio Souza wants to know, is Daniel Jones uncomfortable with the interior line or is the scheme more difficult this year? Appreciate you being a big fan and you don't miss an episode of the podcast. Uh, I think there are are times where Daniel Jones does look uncomfortable. I think especially last week against Carolina, they had a hard time kind of resetting the pocket. uh, And that is... That is a problem that needs to be fixed. But I do think that Daniel Jones has a good game in him coming up. I'm not sure if it's this week or the next week against Chicago. But I do think you're going to see an opportunity where some of these plays break open and Daniel Jones shows you uh, that he's probably more comfortable than he's looked to this point. So hopefully that answers your question. The interior of the line is a work in progress. They've got to figure out the right combination between Ben Bredesen and Joshua Azudu at left guard. Azudu is much better in the run game. His pass protection, uh, he's struggling with the speed of that. So they're trying to spot. You can't always play Bredesen on passing downs and Azudu on rundowns. So you've got to find that right combination to make sure that teams don't cheat based on who is that left guard because they will. That's one of the easiest tells in the NFL. If a guy can only play in a certain uh, schematic situation, defenses will pick that up very quickly. So I think that's what you're seeing on the interior trying to move Bredesen and Azudu to their strengths, but don't expose their weaknesses uh, if you can avoid that. And especially Azudu in pass protection, that's what you need to figure out how to be able to do that. All right, Brett Brooks wants to know how likely is it that Aziz and Thibodeau will be on the field this week? Uh, Then he also mentions about Cowboys not scaring him on offense could be a defensive struggle. I agree with that. I don't believe Leonard Williams will be on the field as you agree, but we'll see. Leonard Williams is a tough guy, uh, played through an elbow injury that very few players would have played through last year, especially given the circumstances of where the giants were at, uh, as a team. And he still played despite that to keep his consecutive streak alive. Um, If Leonard Williams could play, has a shot at playing, he's going to play. I I don't doubt that at all. Uh, I just don't know if he can get up to speed to be out there for Monday night. As far as Thibodeau and Ojolari, I think Thibodeau and Ojolari will play on Monday. I don't know uh, the extent of how many snaps they'll play, but I I do think that they they will both play uh, against the Cowboys. Uh, Dijon wants to know... Do you see Saquon getting traded with Daniel not looking comfortable in the offense, but picking up wins? Uh, I assume you think that trading Saquon will allow them to get picks to move up in the draft for a quarterback. Uh, I don't think Saquon will get traded if he continues to play like this. Uh, should he? I think the Giants probably should look to make that happen if they've already decided that they're not going to re-sign Saquon next year. And I'm not sure, as we've talked in the preseason, I don't know re- if re-signing Saquon is the right thing for this team. Uh, but uh, if they've already made that decision, then it's something that they would have to consider late in October. Now, if they're sitting there at 8-2, and two, that's a much harder thing to pull. But if they're 3-5, and five, I think they need to be realistic Or 3-6, and realistic with where they're at. And um, also judge what that would do in the locker room. Saquon's a leader on this team. They would just need to judge it. I'm not saying that would need to prevent them from making a deal if somebody comes calling with pieces that could help them in the future. But you always have to weigh the impact on the locker room uh, and where you would be at, especially since Brian Dable has earned the trust of this team. And now to give that trust away by getting rid of one of your best players uh, right now, the best player on offense specifically, uh, I'd say it's Saquon and Andrew Thomas. Um, So just something to consider. That would be my uh, my take on that. Um, Philip Dirkowski wants to know more about Aziz and Kavon. I pretty much answered that. What does the offense, uh, you know what, Phil, I'm not going to, you know what, this is one of those names where we used to have fun with it. I'll I'll say, you know, the, the idea of Phil McCracken, I don't believe that that is your real name, but I'll have fun with it and say what does the offense need to do to take them from a nice story to the playoffs. As simple as it is, score points. They need to start scoring more points than what they're scoring uh, because consistently they haven't done that. Um, Isaac Medina wants to know, based on lack of playing time, do you think the Giants will cut Kenny Galladay? No, I don't believe they'll cut Kenny Galladay just based on even with his comments this week where it seems like he's a little disgruntled, unhappy that he only played two snaps the other day. All I'd say is good. If the team is trying to send you a message, and good for Brian Dable. How how many years are we going to hear about this guy's on scholarship, but the front office is forcing him to play? And now they do the reverse, and people want to know how come Kadarius Toney and Kenny Galladay aren't playing. Because they're going through practice, and they're saying, you know what, we have a better chance to win with these guys on the field. Good for them. And they've actually won. Now, if they lost, then you could say, okay, well, your, your method is not working, so maybe you should play these guys who are more talented. But you're telling me that, not based on salary, if we were watching in the summer... Who's a better player, Kenny Galladay or David Sills? I think you'd get, out of 10 people, five people say Sills, five people say Galladay, and not knowing them. And really, when you terms of, in terms of production, it's even higher slanted towards David Sills. So here's where I think people are falling into a trap of, and I don't want to say the big, bad New York media, but there's a game going on in the media right now, and I'm trying to stay away from it. The reality is, this summer, or even going back to the spring, or going back to last season, we all watched Kenny Galladay. The feeling is that, oh, Kenny Galladay, look at him. He's not giving 100% in practice. He's not making plays. He has no chemistry with Daniel Jones. All of this stuff. Now, Kenny Galladay is not playing, because the coaching staff is acknowledging the fact that we are a better team right now with him on the sideline. And now we want to go to Kenny Galladay in the locker room and see if Kenny Galladay is going to spout off and be disgruntled. And now we're defending Kenny Galladay because he's not playing. All I'm saying is read between the lines. Take a step back, see what's going on here. There are a lot more people who watch this Giants team who realize why Kenny Galladay is not playing. Regardless of what you hear in the media, I know Julian Love was asked the other day, on with Tiki and Tierney, the idea of what do you think of Kenny Galladay not playing? He said, well, it's interesting. This team knows. This team watches. They see who's playing well and who's not playing. They see who's giving 100% in practice. They see what's going on. So, again, I'm not, not here to knock Kenny Galladay. I hope Kenny Galladay finds his rhythm here. He hasn't since he's been here. But the idea that Kenny Galladay is going to be cut, that's another story. This contract will not allow him to be cut. The Giants would would owe an extra $4.5 million to the salary cap without Galladay on the roster. They can't do that. And if you think you're going to get Kenny Galladay to demand a trade and be able to trade him, then he'd have to scrap his contract and give up money to get out of here. And I do not think that Kenny Galladay is ready to do that. Uh, again, I haven't asked him that. I'm just going off of perception. Why would he give up money to get out of here, thinking that he's going to get a contract anywhere close to the one he has with the Giants? Dylan Vache. The Giants' schedule looks fairly easy compared to the rest of the NFL. How many wins do you think they'll end up with when the regular season's over? I'm sticking with six. Uh, I think there'll be some tough games here. It's really the law of averages that it'll go against them. Uh, But look, if they're sitting 4 0 going to London to play Green Bay, you know what? Then maybe I was a little, I shorted them a little bit on the wins. But I'm comfortable with sticking at six. I think, like in 2016, a rough patch is coming. I could see them lose two of the next three, even three of the next four, uh, with the Bears game, the one game that's standing out as the one that they should have a very good chance at pulling out a victory. Uh, But you're talking about Dallas on Monday night. Not an easy game, even without Dak Prescott. Then Green Bay in London, not an easy game against Aaron Rodgers. We'll see what happens. And then come back to play Baltimore on Lamar Jackson. I don't think that's an easy game as well. So we'll see where we're at. Which I can give you a better answer for that. Um, all right, we got a couple more. We got a lot of questions this week, so I appreciate it. Uh, let me see. Um, all right. Uh, the Tony Jefferson question. Doug wants to know if Tony about Tony Jefferson. Here's the deal: it, there is a maximum of three par- practice squad elevations. He's already been elevated twice. I think Tony Jefferson will be added to the active roster at some point. If not this week, next week he'll be elevated this weekend. Uh, and then when it comes down to it, uh, someone's going to lose a spot on the fifty-three, and that could be through injury. It could just be through We need this guy on the roster. You know, you have Jason Pinnock on the 53. He was banged up last week. He's back at practice. But Tony Jefferson's more valuable to this team than Pinnock, especially with Dane Belton back in the fold. Uh, You can look at a guy like McLeod, who was injured last week, inactive, played well on special teams, but he is not going to be out there for defense. So... I think those are the two guys in that spot uh, that when it's time to elevate Jefferson, one of those those two guys will be put to waivers and then hopefully be brought back to the practice squad uh, the way things shake out. And if they're claimed on waivers, then you just have to move on. But right now it's McKinney, Love, Belton, and Jefferson are the top four safeties. You need Jefferson on the active roster Uh, without a doubt. So I wouldn't worry about that too much. This is where Jefferson wants to stay. This is where he wants to be. Uh, So I don't think he's going to look for another opportunity uh, as long as he wants to be with Wink Martindale. Uh, Old school Giants, any word on Shane Lemieux's condition? Uh, No timetable just yet. He was still in a boot when I spoke to him beginning of last week. Uh, So my guess, it will not be an activate Shane uh, after the four weeks are up as far as the uh, short-term IR, uh, I think maybe you get to midseason and then you start thinking about is Lemieux ready to kind of come back into this mix? Where are you sitting at the offensive line at that left guard spot? But uh, I don't think this is a, a move that's on the immediate horizon uh, as far as Lemieux. All right, last question of the week. Ben G, do the Giants have any wins this year if not for Richie James? Well, that's that's really tough to say. But Richie James, he's stayed healthy and he's made plays, and I think uh, he's kind of one of those surprises on this offense. And which is kind of crazy because he performed all summer. Richie James and David Sills performed all summer, and I give the Giants credit for having them both in the mix. Uh, and it's it's kind of sad when you think about Colin Johnson. What would Colin Johnson have been? in this offense right now had he not gotten hurt because he was ahead of both of those guys uh, in the rotation. So really, really tough break for Colin Johnson. And is Graham Gano the best free agent signing the Giants have made since Antro Roll? Ah, uh, boy. You know what? I mean, Graham Gano has delivered. He has been healthy since Carolina got rid of him. Uh, he's definitely up there. I can't think of another guy off the top of my head that I could look at and say, this guy was a great free agent acquisition. Um, You know, yeah. I mean, I guess you'd have to say it, but as far as Antrell goes, Antrell played every game of a five-year contract. That is unheard of in today's NFL when it comes to free agency. So uh, I, I wouldn't want a slight, and Trell in any way by putting Graham into that category. But Graham Ganoa has been everything the Giants could have hoped for and more when they signed him uh, coming back from his injury when he was let go in Carolina. All right, that'll wrap up this week's episode. Enjoy Monday Night Football, the whiteout. We'll see the rally towels back, only this time not blue. They'll be white. I'll be there at MetLife. We'll go post-game Podcast just like we did the last two weeks. Sounds seems like judging by the numbers, you guys love it, so we will do that. Uh, and again, thanks for being all in. We'll catch you next week.